Hello and welcome to Standing Before the Mass podcast. I'm your host, Chris Heaton. We are sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. And this is my fourth episode, which means four people were willing to take the time to sit down and have a talk about their organization or cause. And I'm pretty chuffed about that. And I've got more people on the way. Today's guest is Kim Hapgood. Kim is the program director at Sail Newport. She's going to tell us about all the great programs going on at Sail Newport, including a new one that they've just launched. Uh, we get to talk about the Volvo Ocean Race stopover, and we hear a funny story about how she once dove overboard from a chartered catamaran to chase a wedding ring. Anyway, uh, it's a great talk, and I hope you enjoy. I'm here today with Kim Hapgood. Kim is the program director at Sail Newport, and she's going to tell us about her role, how she came to this position, and what's going on at Sail Newport. Kim, welcome. Well, thank you, Chris. Good morning. What is your your job title? Is program director? Right. So it's a we're a nonprofit with uh, a lot going on. So while my title is program director, like everybody in our office, I wear multiple hats. My primary responsibility is the programs and services that Sail Newport provides to the sailing community. And how did you how did you wind up here? I remember when you first appeared. It was the right. early 90s, mid-90s maybe? Yeah, mid-90s, 96. Uh, sort of uh, um, by way, um, it was a long path. I was a political science major in college, convinced that I was going to be a lawyer, and um, quickly decided by about my junior year that was not what I wanted to do. And instead, too many writing briefs. Huh? Uh, too, too much. <laughs> the idea of um, sitting in a uh, courtroom arguing with other people lost its luster. Uh, but I ended up in the field of student affairs and went and did a master's at Columbia, and um, spent a couple of years after I'd uh, wrapped up the master's um, working at Columbia and Barnard College, um, and thoroughly enjoyed that um, working with college students um, in a variety of different ways, um, but involved a lot of programming. Um, and so uh, I decided, though, that uh, I wanted to spend some time uh, doing the one thing that I loved more than anything else, which was sailing or being and being involved in the sport. Um, and I was coaching the, the team, the sailing team at Columbia at the time, uh, but a uh, friend told me about a position that had a new position that was opening up in Florida um, at the newly formed Martin County Sailing Center and so I applied and ended up being hired as their first executive director and while uh, working in the the field was wonderful um, just amazing people that I got to work with and uh, tremendous students and sailors and athletes um, Florida was not my stick. Um, I think you either have to be born there and um, grow up appreciating the, the weather or be old enough that you want to retire and uh, run away from New England. Right. Um, so uh, after uh, two and a half years, uh, the position for the program director at Cell Newport opened up and it was uh, an absolute no-brainer. I applied and when I got the job, headed north. So that was in 96 and uh, I've been here ever since. Was Brad the director then? No, no? Uh, Lynn Shore. It was Lynn. Okay. Lynn Shore was the ED. She was there for the first year and a half. Uh, then she left. Um, I was asked if I wanted the position. I didn't uh, want to be the ED. So I sat in the seat for a couple months while they did a search, and Brad was the executive director who got hired. 
Okay. He's been there with, it's been a team of, there are a couple of us, uh, Kim Cooper as well, the three of us have been there um, for uh, 20 years. Wow. So. Now it said, I noticed on the Sail Newport website, you're one of only six certified U.S. sailing master trainers in the yep. country. What is a master trainer? So a master trainer, so U.S. sailing as the national um, governing body for the sport uh, has certification programs and for instructors in a variety of different disciplines, small boat sailing, dinghies, keel boats, power boats, and the master ITs, we train the trainers who train and certify instructors. So oh, it's right. a fairly small group. There are only about uh, 125 instructor trainers um, across the U.S. that are active um, and uh, for small boat level one and even smaller numbers for level two and level three. So there are just a handful of us as master ITs. We have experience in history and uh, uh, sort of proven track record right. at, at training. And, and so, uh, yeah, I'm fortunate to, to be one of those. I notice you have, um, well, you since we're talking about yeah. training trainers, <laughs> do you ever have any instructors who were once students come back? It's this is the. the, Do they ever leave? Many have been with us a long time, but even funnier than the ones who come back, um, you know, students who come back to be instructors. And yes, that it's always wonderful. Some will go away and work someplace else, and then come back and join us. I actually have a. I'm going to be interviewing a young man this weekend who was a student in our program who's applied for a job for the summer. And uh, but the the ones, and this is telling for how long I've been there, is that uh, we now have the children of former instructors. And yet that makes, if you can oh, appreciate boy. when, you know, the average age of an instructor is maybe 20 or 21. Right. So the fact that they now have children old enough to, to be attending the program. It's, yeah, it's... I, I felt old the other day. A young guy came in, asked to see a sextant. He was in, he, it was a proper Navy sextant. And awesome. He took it outside. He played with it a bit. And he, um, he told me he was teaching celestial navigation at the War College. And then he asked how long we had been here, and, and I told him, and he said, that's how old I am. Right. So he was 25 years old, and I guess he was he was an instructor of celestial navigation, which I found fascinating. That's fascinating, yeah. and it's, and it's um, reassuring to hear that they're actually still teaching that skill because they no longer teach it at the academy. Right. You know, they've stopped, yeah. and which is tragic that you're sort of losing those fundamental skills. What, what, um, what boats are, do you have an in inventory at Sail Newport? Uh, we have, a, in total, about 170 boats, and they range from 8-foot prams for our youngest sailors up to uh, a hodgepodge of, of uh, day-sailing keelboats, um, like a J-29 and uh, Melges 24 and a couple Latchels um, that are used for fairly specialized programs. The, the bulk of our fleet, though, um, which is used by the adults and for youth programs, um, are the J-22 keelboats, mm-hmm. and um, and then, as I say, the smaller prams and 420s, Quests, uh, Bugs, Hartleys. They're uh, all kinds of uh, funny names uh, to be calling um, small dinghies uh, sailed by a variety of ages and skill levels. Do boats get donated or just come to you, show yeah. up on your doorstep? So boats like the uh, J-29 and the Etchells and the J-20, a couple J-24s and the Melders 24, those are all boats that are donated. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody calls us up and offers um, to donate a boat, our first assessment is whether it's something we can actively use and put into play within the program. When it's something that we can't, we work with uh, Block Island Maritime Foundation oh, right. yep. um, and let them uh, take the boat and look after it and either 
put it out to charter or eventually it might get sold. Good boats, though, like those that I describe, or last year's donation by mm. Bill Belichick, um, uh, the Five Rings, oh, um, right. yeah. you know, get pressed into service uh, and use actively used um, in the programs. Um, you have kids and adults get involved in the program, right? So our Sail Newport's got three primary missions. There's the um, dry sail storage of sailboats. So, you know, for anyone who owns a sailboat and doesn't, it's either too small or they don't have access to a mooring, and they can launch it off a ramp or from the, the hoist. They will often come store with us, um, mm-hmm. and we're the sort of gateway to getting them on the water. Uh, that's one mission. And then the second mission is our um, adult uh, rental program. So for people who don't own boats but want to be able to go sailing and, and take advantage of, of the harbor and the bay, um, there's the rental program. And then our instructional programs, um, which range from five-year-old kids to people in their 80s, mm-hmm. those who know how to sail, um, and those who are learning to sail up through learning to race, sort of all Do you over. Have a checkout program for people who want to rent? Yes, you have to pass a practical checkout. Um, it's not, and it's, we're uh, surprisingly, um, I wouldn't say it's that it's easy. Um, it, it, we're very efficient about how we mm. run the checkouts. The objective is simply to make sure that the renter has sufficient skills to be able to take the boat be safe, take you know, whoever they're going out with, um, you know, handle the boat responsibly um, and return it um, right. without causing problems for themselves <laughs> or, or, or others. But not so, as difficult as a British driving exam. Not nearly as difficult <laughs> as a British driving exam. Our, our passing rate is much higher than that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, I noticed that I was lucky to attend the TEDx talk mm. here in Newport, um, and Brad mentioned a, a new program that I guess is involved right. the Pell School. Um, they mentioned that, that fancy science. word, yep. uh, STEM, okay, and uh, yes. and it had a nice little video of, of kids getting to the the water yep. for the first time. Right. Um, how is that? A lot of when I grew up sailing, a lot of the focus was on teaching. Once you got the basics down, it was okay. This is how you race. Right. And what I saw in that video, which I thought was great, was kids just getting out on a boat learning a bit about seamanship and of course it was still the entrance but it it, they they seem to do a lot more right well i think what people sometimes forget is that that somewhere i read a stat and it it may be a little bit outdated at this point but less than five percent of sailors race yet and i think it's really particularly live in a community like um, newport where sailboat racing is what gets the big press. It's sort of whether it's, you know, at the level of the America's Cup or the Volvo Ocean Race or just, you know, so the many one-design regattas and events that happen. But sailboat racing is really a, a tiny piece of it. And um, so we, like our, our racing programs, we, we have very large youth racing programs, um, relatively speaking, with maybe say, 75 kids who are very active, competing at a, at a variety of levels um, for the summer. But the vast majority of our youth programs, the other, you know, um, the hundreds who are there all day, every day for, you know, a couple weeks at a time, um, are recreational sailors learning to get into it. And the Pell program, you know, is an extension of now that we have the a new building with reasonable classroom space and the ability to host um, more extensive programs, the first one that we 
we'd been sort of talking about and, and the original uh, idea and motivation for it came from one of our um, former board members, Donna Kelly, who was a teacher at Pell and uh, who was like, you know, one day it would be great if we could um, give the opportunity for, there should be no reason that any kid coming up through the schools in and living in Newport doesn't get an opportunity to get on the water right. and, and be exposed to the sport. There's so many great reasons, you know, by sort of byproduct of that experience. And so um, we had started brainstorming it and, and we were thinking about it and then the building goes up and it's like, okay, let's just do this. We have the facility. And we have the facility. Yeah. Didn't really have the funding and thank you to all the funders who stepped up at our gala last year and paid for this year's program. Um, but uh, basically what we've, what we've committed to the um, Newport School District is that uh, we'll take every every year the fourth grade. So this year there are about 168 students. Um, the whole fourth grade? The entire fourth grade. Wow. They come over. Um, every student comes once a week mm-hmm. for eight weeks in the fall and eight weeks in the spring. So they're getting um, 16 days, and they spend half their time on shore, sometimes in the classroom, sometimes using Fort Adams um, as their classroom, working with their teachers on um, academic topics that they would otherwise be covering in the classroom back at right. Pell. And then the other half of the time, they're with us learning to sail, learning good seamanship, learning how to work together with with their uh um, classmates on the boats, um, learning knots, navigation, right. and sort of, and we we tie in whatever is the academic lesson that they have with their teachers. We draw on that and incorporate that into the on the water piece. So, an example would be one um, they were talking about uh, um, landforms and composition of landforms and everything from you know what's under the grass, the type of dirt and, mm-hmm. and, and soil, um, and then what's under the water. And so when the instructors went down on the docks, they um, threw some buckets down and dredged up the harbor bottom so that they could look at the composition of the harbor bottom and sort of add that to their... Ah, that lovely yeah, Newport or, Harbor it, mud. It was actually, it was not bad. You know, <laughs> it's it's doing pretty well. Yeah, it's, it's getting better. It's getting better. Is there a... Uh... A swim requirement, or do you? How do you? Obviously, everyone wears a, a life jacket. Everyone has to wear a life jacket anytime they're even walk, starting to walk down the pier. We, um, the parents, uh, sign a waiver mm-hmm. and they acknowledge um, that uh, the children, their child, uh, knows how to swim. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is, we know that maybe there's varying degrees of um, skill and comfort that come with that. Um, it's one of the reasons we're using the J22s and not dinghies because they don't capsize, um, or at least it's really, really hard to capsize them. They're much drier than a dinghy. So oh, right. in working with, with this group where we don't have the time to be having kids have to put on you know, special gear, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a little bit easier to manage. And at this point with the Pell um, or the school has the has a swimming component as well. So if you're in the second grade, you learn to swim when you're oh, in the right. second grade. So by the time you get to the fourth grade, you should have fundamentals mm-hmm. under your belt. As um as a public sa- sailing center, mm-hmm. I see lots of groups over there. I've, mm-hmm. You know, I see you've got the folks that rent the boats. Um, there are regattas that come into town. Um, how do you balance all of those activities? You have this master calendar. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> and well, then you've got the folk festival, the jazz festival. Right. I suppose the Volvo sort of starts before. That's right. And we, yeah. I don't think we would have undertaken a Volvo if, if it was a July event because it lasts 
it's you know 14 days truly in Plus length at the village and, down, yeah. and that set up and breakdown of a couple of weeks on each side so it, it wouldn't have been practical perfect to shoehorn it in in may when it's a sort of a downtime for the for or it's the start of the season for the city i think um balancing it, it that it's tough and yes there is a master calendar uh we have a um, part of our growth, um, it used to be that, you know, the the core team we would sit and we'd have a scribble, and we sort of all knew what was happening in our in our areas, and we managed not to trip over each other too much. And you know, when regattas needed some of the same shoreside space that was being used by programs, we'd work it out. And we're still doing that, um, but the um, I would say the management of it has become a little bit more sophisticated. Um, there are specific calendars and, and uh, online um, tracking, um, and we have a, an event coordinator who helps to keep us in line. Do the folk and jazz festivals completely shut you down? No, they un- they they completely shut down historic Fort Adams. Um, right. Their impact is much greater. For us, it definitely impacts. There are a lot of users whether it's I know John shoehorns yeah. a lot of cars in there. Yeah, they shoehorn a ton of cars in. It's amazing. Um, we we know we are not allowed to have any special events during okay. that period. Um, so we don't schedule any regattas. It impacts some of the regular users of the facility whether those are renters or people who keep their boats there where they know that they will have to anticipate longer you know wait times to get into the mm. park. Um, and there is no question that I w- we see a drop off in mm-hmm. um, in a number of renters. But it's two. It's, it's only two weekends. It's, it's only it's it's you know it's six days. It it has an impact, but I think overall, it, in the the nice thing is all the entities um, that call Fort Adams home. Um, we all respect and work with each other right. to yeah. acknowledge that they're like the Volvo is going to majorly impact everybody. Right. You know, and, so. And I noticed there's some new docks going in over there. Is right. that that's I suppose for the Volvo for the, the festivals? Right. It's it's part of um, the state um, working with us uh, um, an initiative to try and make uh, continue to build a facility that has the uh, ability to accommodate um, events um, and activities and that can showcase what the city um, and the state have to offer mm-hmm. to people who want to come visit here, whether it's for a rendezvous or a regatta or some other type of special event. And certainly the Volvo has been the, you know, was the spearhead. Um, and actually, if you go back to the America's Cup um, event that we held, hosted in 2012, oh, right. um, that was sort of the start of it and a recognition and acknowledgement by the state that a little investment in the infrastructure was worth it because the return in terms of um, benefit to all kinds of different businesses and, and people in the state was um, was there. And so there was some development with the new um, pier and the docks that were in place for the 2015 mm-hmm. Volvo. And now the north side of the Olofsson Pier is getting a, um, some pilings and a um, new string of docks. And those are exclusively earmarked for intermodal travel. So it's sort of like, you know, we're over here Karate at Karate Park. Park. You know, that both... The Olofsson Piers and um, Parati Park were original DOT, not state, federal DOT mm-hmm. um, projects to try and improve intermodal transportation within the um, 
I suppose you have Harvard. fun chasing dinghies off. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the now, biggest thing. Yes, with, with, with Pride. Pride, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, and now we've got uh, uh, um, Nick, our who's uh, our dock and, and storage coordinator. He gets to chase people. It used that was one of my things that I used to have to do. Yeah. You know, but no, somebody else. You, you mentioned um, your big gala. Is that mm. the is that the biggest or the only? Fundraiser you have, or does it, do you have ongoing events? Um, well, um, like many nonprofits, it feels like we always have our handout, um, <laughs> and uh, um, but certainly um, the gala. And this is our we're going to be celebrating our 35th anniversary this year, which is very exciting. So we are um, going to have another big gala in the fall, and that's sort of traditional when you think about. Major nonprofits in, in is that the, the shipwreck party? No, or, that's no, different. That's different. And I'll, that is different. Okay. Yeah. So the gala is typically a more uh, formal, um, and the main uh, sort of purpose behind the gala is certainly to raise money. It's it's also about having a good time and people coming together to celebrate what we do. But it's a, a, our primary uh, focus is on fundraising at that event. Mm-hmm. The sh- what we have always called the shipwreck parties, which go back um, like 18 years now um, that we've been doing the shipwreck parties. Those are all sort of a spring fun, you know, shake off the winter cobwebs, get ready for the start of the season, see some people you haven't seen. If we can raise some money, that's always um, helpful and important. It's more of a social event. But it's it's as much a social event, Mm. much smaller target in terms of financial. And we are going to have a party this spring um, on uh, Saturday the 12th of May out at the race village which will be open and set up um, we're going to have a party that night we're not calling it shipwreck and in light of the um, various tragedies that mm. have befallen the Volvo we didn't think that it no. would be a smart move so it's going to be a uh, stars and stripes um, back in the USA celebration and uh, should be good fun and tickets are on sale um, on our website basically. one of my seamanship questions was going to be have you ever fallen overboard but I, when I read your uh, profile on the Sail Newport website it said one of your best memories was your first sailing experience and you capsized I capsized I was so. only four years old then I okay. I did fall overboard um, when I was older and knew better um, <laughs> and uh, it was actually a funny story um, uh, in that uh, we were down in the Bahamas cruising um, and two of my best mates from college were had gotten engaged and they wanted to do the wedding um uh on a boat and so they asked if i would what could go wrong what could go wrong they were like what <laughs> would you preside you know and um you know so uh, so the, there were three boats in total but we all cl- um, clambered on um the boat i had chartered was a 48 foot prout uh sailing catamaran so it had a beautiful hard deck forward in the mast and it was perfect we piled everybody on it was just they decided they wanted to do it at sunset so we left the docks we had we were in bimini um in uh, the bahamas and left the docks went out into international waters and it was a beautiful sunset morning you know couldn't have been blowing more than six to eight knots and so we just set the main and uh put it on autopilot we're sort of on a broad reach and going at uh, you know really just a couple knots speed, and uh, there were two funny things that happened. So the first, um, the ceremony is going on, and Gary, the groom, uh, his it was uh, <clears throat> one of, it was kid who was to become his stepson um, was the ring bearer, and we were gathered on the port rail, and Gary um, turned to take the ring box from 
uh, his stepson, and the box goes over the side. and With the ring? <laughs> with the ring. Right. And so I, I'm, I'm standing right there, and I look down, and the box is floating on the surface of the, surface of the water. So I'm like, okay, I can get this. <laughs> and what's the, you know, the rule is the captain should never leave the ship. Well, I dove over. Beautiful lifeguard, you know, didn't go underwater, you know, um, got to the surface, grabbed the box. And it, what was amazing in light of the tragedy with um, uh, the boat uh, where um, Fisher was lost down in the Southern Ocean, they were traveling at exponential speeds relatively to what we were. But it was amazing how fast the boat disappeared. And it was just big ocean swells that I was in. And it was warm. Um, I was conscious and everything. But uh, anyway, so the boat got a distance. took them a few minutes. They finally came back. And uh, I clambered back on board. It turned out it was all a ruse. The ring was not in the box. And Gary never, he didn't warn me he was going to do it. And he never expected that I was going to jump so he over. he jumped overboard for an empty box. For an empty box. It was... Yeah, there were. Yes, it was. It was a, almost like a drill. It was almost like a drill. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I, that the follow-up question was for some people: Did alcohol play a role? But in this case, no, it wasn't because you were the skipper it, it, of the boat. It was skipper. It, it was it was sunset. We did we had a champagne toast when mm. it was all set and done. But it, it was uh, early morning and uh, not at all. I, I noticed when you um, more seamanship when at least the San Newport mm. boats, everyone's wearing a PFD. Yes, um, and. The kids on the docks, they're yep. all wearing PFDs. Is that, is that a rule, I take it? It is a rule. And it's, I think um, it's beyond common sense at this point. There's, mm. I think, um, especially kids and uh, instructors and coaches who are uh, you know, sort of growing up with the expectation of, they don't even think twice now. Right. It, it, you forget you have it on. They're comfortable. There's um, so many different styles, and they fit. Depending on your, you know, you can get depending on your body shape. There's no excuse for it if they were uncomfortable. I mm. could see people stop now. People just don't even think about it, and it's common sense. I imagine it's, for small dinghies and, and racing boats, you you don't use the inflatable ones. No, because no. you're they you, they shouldn't. They're going to get wet. They shouldn't go off if the spray hits them, you know. But still, the chances are there's a far greater likelihood you're going to capsize, and you just don't need them exploding. Yeah, I was wearing one that wasn't an automatic inflatable. Mm but it was a ripcord, and it was integrated with a harness okay. uh, on an offshore boat, and I actually got the, 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 the tag, tag caught, caught yep. and the thing inflated like, on me, which it's... made the job I was trying to do <laughs> even worse. Yeah. yeah, well, it's a shock. If you, yeah, I think it's important if you're ever going to go offshore, truly go offshore, I think um, you should test out having the inflatable go off on you because it's, it's like, one, it's a, quite a powerful um, noise and feeling um, as it sort of erupts around your head. Mm. Um, it doesn't. Hurt, it's not like it hurts or anything, but it's an un, if you're not expecting it, it's a right. weird sensation. Yeah, when I interviewed Kent, we talked about um, mm. one of his courses going to a pool, yes. and like he said, it's not a couple of guys doing yep. laps. Sixteen yep. people show up, they deploy a life raft, yep. and it's it's. You know, you need that experience. You, you need to jump practice. in the water. You know, no, a lot of people don't know what it's like to jump mm-hmm. in the water in a dry suit or a wet suit. Or, right. Yep. So it's um, no question. Um, you mentioned Volvo a couple mm. of times um, and America's Cup. Yep. As these boats have always driven changes that sometimes trickle down and often yes. do trickle down to regular boats mm-hmm. that normal people use. Sometimes comically, like a winged keel on a thirty-foot <laughs> sailboat yeah. uh, that's a cruising boat. But do you think that in I don't know ten, fifteen, twenty years? We're going to look out on the bay and see boats foiling left and right, beyond just the moths. 
I am a skeptic that that will be the case. I think um, not because I don't think that they can't be accessible to recreational sailors. Um, and certainly you see... It borders on extreme it sport. It borders a little bit on extre- extreme sport, um, but I think the certainly some of the nuances that come with that, the speed, um, the sort of technical nature, those are very attractive things to, um, to a lot of sailors. Uh, but I think the the big issue is just the mechanics uh, of uh, making it function and, you know, dealing with, you know, crowded um, spaces where most boating takes place. I think people are going to find it not practical enough. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that there won't continue to be um, opportunities. You've got... Um, Clark up in Bristol, who's uh, building a relatively um, reasonably priced foiling catamaran, single-hander. I guess mm. you can put two people on it. Um, uh, you know, you've got boats like the Moth and the Wasp. Uh, but even I think you look at uh, at, at the youth, at the youth level, um, the growth in interest. It's as much about the handful of kids who, and it goes back to that one of your first questions mm. about racing versus recreational sailing. There's no question that there are kids that gravitate and adults who will gravitate um, to those experiences, but it's as much the growth in some of the uh, plastic boats um, and that are versatile, functional, reasonably priced, um, easy to use, and durable. Um, that's, is, I think, where there's going to be as much growth. Mm. Um, I think the, the foiling stuff is sexy and cool and right. kind of... but. I've seen a lot of trickle, and I think mo- mostly in sail shape, sail design. Yes. That, that hard can be sails. easily incorporated. Yeah, right. hard, to you have a, to wonder about hard sails, especially yeah. with some of the conversations that are going on about at the America's Cup level about whether there won't be a hard, you know, what kind of hard sails they might be using. Mm. Um, what sort of other organizations do you partner with the, the sail? I mean, you mentioned mm-hmm. the Pell School, right? Um, the Rogers Sailing Team, right? We host the yeah. facilities. Yeah, we host um, actually all of the public schools on the island. So Rogers, Middletown, and, Pr- and Portsmouth mm-hmm. all sail, and then Prout comes over. Um, Salve Regina University does a recreational program with us as well as their sailing team sails out at the facility. We have a a uh, great program with uh, Martin Luther King. We work with a couple of other agencies. We're going to start a new program, hopefully, with the Boys and Girls Club uh, this year. And then we do a lot of scholarship. Uh, so part of our objective, even with the Pell program, is that uh, many of the kids who go through our school program will think about coming back in the summer. So we've given them scholarship spots to um, enroll some students into our regular programs. We it's we don't... Uh, not everything has to be a standalone. Um, mm-hmm. It's as much fun to incorporate them into our our um, regular youth programs. And do you have any corporate sponsors that help now, maybe with the boats, the maintenance, that sort of thing, or in, gifts, gifts in kind? Gifts in kind, absolutely. So uh, we're very fortunate. You know, being in Newport, there are so many uh, sort of the marine industry is right here and. Very cognizant of of what we do, and um, a lot of different companies step up in, in different ways. Everything from uh, random donation of uh, fiberglass materials from Composite One when we need uh, mm-hmm. when we're refurbishing a whaler, or um, when our fleet of J twenty twos when we replaced it uh, a couple years ago, um, we solicited and received in kind donations um, of deck hardware from Harkin and running rigging from Ron Stan. Mm. Um, 
and uh, certainly even the you know then U.S. watercraft you know worked really well with us on pricing to make mm -hmm. it something that we could um, afford to do. Yeah, I noticed I've seen occasional corporate logo on yes. a boat, and yeah, I assume that, that that was either paid for yes. or it, yeah. it represented a gift right. uh, or a, absolutely. a donation of a can of paint yeah. or something. Well, yeah, Interlux um, every year gives us, uh, they they provided all the uh, barrier coat and bottom paint uh, when the boats were new, and they continue to give us oh, wow. paint um, every year for our fleet, which is huge. It's a lot. Who's your favorite waterfront character, living or deceased, uh, around Newport? Favorite waterfront? Uh, there are many. Um, they could be on the water or dockside. On the water or dockside. There are so many um, <clears throat> interest, interesting and fascinating people who um, call Newport home. And um, there, I've got a lot of stories, and not just from Sail Newport, but from when I was an assistant harbor master during the summers uh, of people I ran into. But actually, um, one of my f favorite um, characters is, is the general manager here at uh, Newport Yacht Club, um, Rudy Borgata. Um, and uh, I've known Rudy since the year I moved to Newport. Who um, I hope to interview on this oh, at I hope some you, point. I hope you do. I'm sure his stories would be fascinating. He was also in a, one of the assistant harbor masters, and at the time he was the principal at uh, Thompson. And we um, we do a lot of not just with Pell, but we had a, a program with uh, Thompson Middle School at the time, and so we got to know each other, and that's how I actually got involved with Harbormasters uh, Department. But uh, um, Rudy's an amazing uh, gentleman and uh, fascinating uh, character um, with uh, a, a ton of different interesting stories um, and experiences. He does, yeah. And so, yeah, I can remember going out to a situation and his ability to diffuse a tense situation yes. between two boaters as an assistant harbor master was remarkable. Yep. Yep. Of course, I'm, he was a Marine, and I'm sure that played a role. <laughs> he was a Marine, a superintendent of schools. Yes. That all, yeah, that, that plays yeah. a role. Absolutely. What opportunities do you see for the future of Sail Newport, or are you pretty much on the path that you want to be on? Um, I think we feel um, really good about what we've been doing and what we're building towards um, the new building definitely uh, has, is going to provide us an opportunity to, to expand, um, to do a lot more programming mm -hmm. in what is perceived as the off-season. It may, we may, you know, it's mostly going to be more indoors or outside of some crazy laser sailors on Sundays. Uh, there isn't necessarily a lot of uh, incentive to sail right through the winter, um, but uh, the building, you know, having reasonable classroom space to to, right. to teach in, and and so um, I think we're looking to expand that, and and our um, while dealing with 168 kids a, a week with the Pell program, it chews up a lot of time. We'd love to also expand, work, continue to work with other schools mm -hmm. um, during the school year. Um, and so, have you ever had any opposition to uh, programs that you're moving forward with, or is it all pretty straightforward? It's, it, it's you mean within Cell Newport, or no, no, or uh, external. Kind of, like somebody yes. says, oh no, I don't want that to happen. Yes, I, I oppose because you know, this is Newport. You know, people Newport. oppose uh, a leaf falling. Right. So, um, for the most part, I think the community is incredibly supportive, um, and it is perhaps an advantage being at Fort Adams. Really, it's the state as much as the city. Um, we do certainly work with the counselors. You know, a big event like a, a Volvo or um, and such Im does impact. I live in the Fifth Ward. I know what it's like when the traffic, mm. you know, during the summer picks up and particularly headed out to Fort Adams. Um, but believe it or not, the only program-related um, resistance we ever had was um, off of Stora Park 
um, there is a um, sort of just immediately to the north of the Goat Island Causeway, there's a small uh, area um, that is like an almost could be a natural little mini marina. Right. It doesn't have a great exposure in terms of its fetch faces. You know, you've got the northwest fetch. Um, but we, one of one of the things we do struggle with being located in Fort Adams is there is no public transportation out there. Mm. So if you don't have a car or if you can't afford to take the water taxi across, it's tough to get to us. And we saw that and and um, put together, um, you know, started brainstorming an idea to do a summer-only, like, six-week program on floating docks, um, you know, and just tie the docks would be temporary just there. That basin just that, north yeah, of just the Elm Street Pier. Just north of the, mm. uh, just south of the Elm Street. Oh, south. Um, just north of the Causeway. Sorry, south, yes. Right off of Storer Park. And Storer Park, there are a lot of restrictions. There's good depth there, too. There's good depth. Um, there are a lot of restrictions in terms of the deeds uh, on Storer Park totally respected and looked at that and understood what that meant. It really was a, just a couple floating docks with with boats so that we could provide an opportunity for, for kids who uh, you know could w- essentially walk or bike right. to get down. And it was so the program, we hadn't even gone to the city. We were sort of in the infancy stage of putting the ideas together. It was still on a napkin. It was almost on a <laughs> napkin. I, like, I had some drawn-up designs, knew how much the fleet was going to cost that we were going to put there, um, had thought about the staffing, and we got a call one evening from our um, Bart Dunbar, who was one of the original founders of Sail Newport and um, longtime board member, mm-hmm. and he said, he was like, you guys, Brad, you got to get down to city hall, to the city council meeting. Um, they're going to talk about your proposal. And we're like, what do you mean? We're like, it's not a proposal. It's not, it's not a proposal. We haven't put it, <laughs> it's not, you know, we were stunned. And the unfortunate thing was some NIMBYs in the north. Um, you can the, say it. It's the point. At the point had gotten, <laughs> you know, hold of this idea. And they, somebody got it on the docket and said, uh, this is a terrible idea. It's going to block our, essentially the, the, one of them, and I, the almost a direct quote, it's going to block our view of Goat Island. And we don't want it. And the city council said, fine, we're not going to. Oh, entertain boy. anything and that i have to say this one time i was so disappointed in sort of the community of newport because as a harbor master mm. i remember fielding calls about some of those same kids that we were hoping to work with um and give them sure, a structured that's a great swimming place, you know it's a great yeah. swim place and and we get calls of complaint about the noise about the kids mm. swimming out to boats and such and i was like here we were going to come in and provide a little bit of guidance and um, a structured program yeah. and yeah. you know one well, that's day. unfortunate. It was unfortunate. That was the only down one. But. Yeah, imagine being your, having your view of a building blocked by a sailboat. Yes. Oh, what a yeah, shame. What a shame. <laughs> Little sailboat, too. Um, you mentioned going for a swim in the Caribbean mm. to chase an empty box. <laughs> uh, what? I, I've never been to the Caribbean. Yeah. Is that one of the most beautiful or scenic places you've sailed? Or what is... Ooh. Wow, that's tough. I, there are so many beautiful places to sail in this world. You sailed um, in Europe. Yeah, I've done a lot of sailing in Europe. Uh, I would I would say the Caribbean is um, stunning with the islands, uh, but actually my favorite place is just smack in the middle of the ocean with nothing else around, like doing deliveries right. um, down uh, from Newport down to the islands. That's probably the most beautiful place because, you know, you, you sit there and you realize you've got 15 thousand feet of water underneath you and mm. this amazing palette 
um, in the sky and, and the, the stars. And the depth sounder is just two sounders, dashes. Two dashes. There's <laughs> no, you know, it can't tell you. And the water just... The hues in the water cha- are constantly changing in the sea life, but it's especially at night with the sky. Oh my! It's that's the most beautiful thing I think. If you me. if you could choose one member of the Beatles, living or deceased, mm. to, to to help you paint the bottom of a boat. Oh my gosh! You probably don't even paint the bottoms anymore. <laughs> I've, I've I've picked up more my share of paint brushes. Um, that would be tough. It would it would have to be between John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and I might have to give the edge uh, to Paul McCartney. Um, he's a little more accessible. <laughs> he's probably a little more accessible in this day and age. Uh, but uh, um, I also think that the sort of range of experiences he's had would be really fascinating. I actually this came up with um, Dave McLaughlin from mm. Clean Ocean mm-hmm. Access and. Um, one of the things that my wife is a big Beatles fan, yes. John Lennon set sail for Bermuda from a dock, and we've, we're trying to identify it with old charts. It's it's somewhere north of where the Moorings restaurant is. Okay. I'm sorry, uh, just south of where the Moorings okay. is. Okay, yep. There, it's been restructured, but there was mm-hmm. a dock there, and he set sail from that, and uh, the skipper was Hank Halstead. Oh, okay. And it, while offshore, it's it's well, it's been in... It's been I'll in magazines. Yeah, and they, it was a storm, and, and I think it, they were down to a skeleton crew. It was basically mm-hmm. Hank and John, and they strapped them in, and Hank needed some rest. <laughs> and uh, it was during that storm that John sort of said, he had this epiphany, you know, I need to write mm. more music. When mm. when he got to Bermuda, he stayed in Bermuda for a period of time. Wow. And um, they have a big memorial there for him. Huh. And we were talking, wouldn't it be cool if it were at least on city property? Mm-hmm. Just yes. a plaque. A it doesn't plaque even have to be the exact yeah. same spot, but, you know, from this huh. spot. And I think that was probably his only serious adventure. What um, kind of boat was it? Do you remember? I don't. Um, I'll have but to look it up. Yeah, if you just if you, uh, look it up, there's a there was a good story, huh. and uh, they covered it, and they... I think they even interviewed the current owners of the boat. Um, and there's a, I believe there's a plaque on the boat, boat yeah. that mentions that, that he had mm. done that. Now, there are so many interesting stories of individuals who, you know, famous and not, who right. have taken to the yeah, sea. Yeah, we were talking about harbor characters. I mean, I was talking in somebody once and I mentioned Grateful Ted and everyone looked at me and I said, oh no, it was a guy. <laughs> uh, there was a guy named Grateful Ted in the harbor. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. What What... What do you consider to be the most valuable use of your time? Well, I guess, uh, that's uh, would probably depend on whether you're talking uh, my my cell Newport my <laughs> yeah. cell Newport time uh, managing and working with staff. Mm. Um, no question, uh, we were about ten year-round full-time staff, and then we swell to uh, fifty-five plus uh, during the summer with seasonal instructors, coaches, dock office staff. And, Operation staff and getting to work with those people every day, and particularly with the older high school, college age kids, um, and I use that very generically, um, mm. that come through and um, work for us, sort of helping them develop into good human beings and build on the skills that they bring with them to mm-hmm. work, you know, and share with our uh, customers and clients. Um, it's that's the best use of my time and and the most rewarding. I would say. If you could travel in time, when and where would you go? Mm. I always like the answer to this because it varies from different yeah, people. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, and uh, again, that's a tough one. Part of me would love to actually travel into the future um, because it's. I feel like it's a pretty scary time um, right now, and uh, I would like to know the answer to the um, questions about 
impacts we're having, the dramatic impacts we're having on our environment, and particularly mm -hmm. the marine environment, and mm -hmm. and do we save ourselves and do we save the this poor little planet that we live on? But I, <clears throat> if I had to travel back, I, you know what? If you, I, I would, wood, if you have a wood boat captain, that question, you can almost guarantee yeah. you're going to be wind up in the uh, yeah. 1700s. 1700s. Um, actually, I would go back uh, to ancient Greece. Really? Yeah. yeah. I would go back to ancient Greece. A lot of sailing done in ancient Greece, but I think um, I, for me a, a fascinating period in terms of um, what uh, people were accomplishing as individuals and as a culture, and I would love to see that in action. Um, you actually made up a good point um, going in the future. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that the boating industry does enough to promote the preservation of the environment, uh, given the impact we have? You know, the boats themselves right. um, in their construction emit a lot of VOCs. The, yes. the products that we apply to them, uh, mm -hmm. the manufacturing of them. Uh, do you think that as a, as, a, as a group of people who enjoy time on a water in a clean environment that right. we, uh, we're doing enough? I think that there is definitely um, a move um, towards uh, better, you know, one un really understanding and appreciating the impacts acro across the board, everything from the construction to when you're out on the water using it. And, and, you know, just think about some of the rules that have been passed in the harbor about, you know, really monitoring pump outs mm. um, and people I can remember. Um, Distinctly, it still st sticks in my mind. The first time I ever did the Newport Bermuda race, we were out for a practice, and the um, the guy, the captain, the guy who owned the boat, um, it was a beautiful Hinkley uh, Competition 42, spectacular boat, and I was good friends with the family, um, and uh, um, the. So the father slash captain slash owner, he, we were out practicing, and he had a cup of uh, coffee, a styrofoam cup of coffee, and he threw the styrofoam cup over. Oh! And this was in, um, so this was in 86. So You tarred and feathered him. Um, well, no, at the time, you know, it, I can remember it vaguely resonated with me that that was why, why would you do that? I didn't say anything. And now fast forward to, you know, many, many years later, I think we're starting, people increasingly across the board get it and then you have um uh, just i think within the industry um people are starting to pay mm -hmm. attention and think about um the materials they're using you know uri um actually at the um one ocean exploration zone that mm -hmm. we're going to have at the at the volvo stopover um one of the exhibitors is from uri um and they're going to be talking about how they're recycling boats and working on the technology to take old fiberglass boats and rather than just have them take up land fill space mm -hmm. out of you know so it's i think it's across the board you've got all these great organizations like clean ocean access and rosalia project and sailors for the sea who are out there 11th hour racing is a huge right. one you yes. know who really are, mentioned them you know really pushing and and um promoting and working with sailors to try and help everybody understand and appreciate but it, it is it's a long road. The high school kids that we work with um, who come out and practice with us, you know, in theory they've grown up with the concept of recycling mm. and stuff. 
and we had to have a chat the other day is because they're all showing up with single-use plastic water bottles, and we're like, what What are you thinking? It, right. You have to figure out how to make it a life habit. And in San Luis, well, Fort yeah. Adams is yeah. a pack it in, pack, pack it, it out. Pack it in, pack it out. And it's just like you need to learn to be conscientious of this and just have it be a natural habit that you have a reusable bottle don't you know avoid the single use wherever you can yes yeah, sailors for the sea did a nice promo uh, or a little mm -hmm. video i was on youtube yes. i saw it i think they filmed it at a local bar and mm -hmm. and about using right. skipping, the skipping the straw I mean, really yes. skipping it not yes. using a yep. different one Absolutely. i talked about that with dave a bit mm -hmm. yeah that that was a yep. good a good thing. Yeah. Um, how do you handle your own trash and recycling there? So we you, you contract with somebody. yeah we we have a contractor um, and uh, that and we recycle um, you know just like regular Rhode Island single stream recycling. We've experimented with composting. It's something we need to do, and we've been most successful with like single events like the Volvo Ocean Race, where mm -hmm. last time round we hit extraordinary levels of. Um, the amount of we tracked um, the waste coming out of that village, and you have to figure there are 132,000 plus visitors right. over you know 12 days, and we tracked that that what happened to the waste, and we did recycle and compost. Not and um, we're doing that again this time, and it um, if you put the time and resources into it, mm. it 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 works. Um, it, making that an everyday. Um, thing, particularly with the composting, because there's not a good, there's nothing unless you can use it um, right where you are. Right. It's not like the state takes it, and so that's I think going to always be a limit. If people want to learn more about Sail Newport, um, either to get lessons, mm -hmm. uh, the best way is just to go to the website. So the website, the www.sailnewport.org is a great way because um, there's information about all the range of programs and services that we provide there, uh, but certainly you can also pick up the phone, and best of all is, um, you know, feel free to come down to Fort Adams and visit us. Um, increasingly, we're at the time of year where we're there seven days a week, um, and especially as we approach the, the Volvo. Um, is, is there a particular building? You've got the new classroom building. Is right. there a particular point of entry for somebody just arriving and wants to learn more? So, yes. I mean, for um, the the main building, um, which is the building that's open year round, um, also houses our dock office. And so, um, once we hit May, the dock office, which is right on the ground floor um, level, so easily accessible, um, is probably the main way that people who are totally unfamiliar with us, mm -hmm. um, who just want to come in and ask questions, whether it's about how to store a boat or take a lesson for themselves or for their children or um, how to get out of the water if they already know how to sail. Um, the, the dock offices are sort of gateway mm -hmm. office. The rest of the time, it's the main offices um, where there's somebody all the time year-round. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been great.